Good afternoon, I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is the Healthy Options Program on WERU Community Radio. Today on Healthy Options, we welcome back Tom Schmelk, a state entomologist with the Maine Forest Service. He's a leader in the effort to tackle the brown tail moth problem here in Maine. He also serves as a manager for other invasive insect-related programs, including winter moths, southern pine beetles, and Asian longhorn beetles, which are also causing serious destruction here. Tom Schmuck earned his master's degree in entomology from the University of Illinois, and he worked for the Bureau of Forest Health with the State Department of Environmental Conservation of New York State. He came to Maine in 2018 and began his current position as a forest entomologist and was quickly introduced to the brown tail moth. And that is the focus of our Healthy Options program. So the problem of the brown tail moths as they expand their range in Maine and what we have to be aware of, how we can try to contain the spread in our own neighborhoods and communities, and if there are ways to decrease the devastation that the brown tail moth caterpillars can cause to trees and vegetation, but also what we might do to reduce the ill effects that it, this harmful invasive insects species can bring to the to human health. So we welcome back to Healthy Options in WERU Community Radio, Tom Schmelk. We're so glad you could speak with us today. We are grateful that you're you're here today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about brown tail moths. What this is and what they look like, where we'll find them and and what the problem is. Yeah, so brown tail moth is a non-native moth, originally native to Europe, <clears throat> came over here in 1897 into Massachusetts, and it's been established in Maine since 1904, so by no means a new problem, and just like many forest pests, it moves in these uh, cyclical outbreak uh, boom and bust cycles, and we just happen to be in the most recent outbreak cycle, which also happens to be um, pretty severe compared to some of the uh, outbreaks in the past here. So brown tail is kind of strange uh, among moths in that the caterpillars overwinter um, in these palm-sized winter webs, and um, they're very visible uh, once the leaves are off the trees. If you go out into your yard on a nice bright sunny day and stand with the sun to your back um, and look up at the top of the trees, you'll be able to see uh, where those palm-sized webs are. I know you have pictures of this on the uh, the Forest Service website. Can you Tell us what that website is. Just Yeah, so if you go to um, foresthealth at maine.gov, um, or that's, that's actually our, our email uh, address, but if you just type in Maine Forest Service, um, it will bring you to our page, and there's a bunch of different subpages for the various forest insects um, that threaten Maine's forests, and, and Brown Hill is one of them that has uh, quite the extensive uh, number of websites associated with it. Okay, just wanted to let people know right away. So we have this palm size um, web that's here now. It is a, this is a, a, a winter overwintering. What does that what does that mean? What why is that significant? Yeah, so uh, most of our native caterpillars they overwinter as either eggs or pupa. Um, so when these basically these caterpillars started. Uh, hatched out of their eggs last August, and they started uh, feeding communally with all their little brothers and sisters, and um, and then also at the same time started completing this web, which is usually complete by the end of September, and then uh, they are dormant from basically uh, beginning October, late September, 
all the way through mid-April. And um, they're sort of just hanging there at the very tips of the branches. And um, they're in, inside each one of those palm-sized webs is between 25 to 400 caterpillars. So each one that you're able to clip out, uh, you'll be doing yourself a world of good. So we're going to talk about how to do that. The reason that you're here on Healthy Options is because these caterpillars in particular have toxic hairs. Is, isn't that it? Maybe you could describe a little bit about that. And we're going to be talking about ways to protect yourself. And really, the best way to protect yourself is to not have a lot of them around. And since it is a boom year, as you said, we want to teach everyone and remind everyone that now is the time to really get out there and clip them. So let's talk about the hairs. What do we know about the, the brown tail moth itself? Yeah, so the caterpillars are covered in these um, toxic hairs. So the hairs themselves are hollow and filled with this toxin um, that is also barbed. So not only are you getting mechanical irritation from the hairs, but you're also getting that chemical irritation. And it gives people a rash similar to poison ivy um, and very similar to poison ivy. People react very differently to it. So some people don't react at all. Some people react very severely. But for the most part, people are sort of in that middle there. And it can get into your lungs. And so some people are having, when you breathe in the hairs, for some people that becomes a huge issue as well. Yeah, definitely some some respiratory issues. Uh, by far and large, for the most part, it's, it's mostly a, a rash on the outside of people's skins. Um, I haven't really had too many people uh, call me um, with the, the respiratory issues. It's, I would say it's like 99%. The, the skin rash, unfortunately. So just keep that in mind uh, and that, that that's what we want to avoid. So give us some hints. Can we touch that right now? They're at the top of the trees to, or where are they? Tell, tell us what. Yeah. So I, I guess it would be a good, um, good point to sort of say which trees that they're in. So brown tail moth is not a very picky eater has a very wide host range, um, but most commonly in Maine, we see it in oaks, um, any fruit trees, and that includes ornamental cherries and crab apples. So, you know, apples, pears, um, plums, anything like that they love. Um, but then also trees like birch, uh, birch, poplar, and elm. Um, we, we don't technically, we don't really see it too much in maple, even though maple is technically on the host list. Um, but we do see it. We have been seeing it in maple when the populations are high. And that's just because there's spillover from the oak trees. There's no vacancy really left in them uh, so that they jump, jump over to brown tail. But I would say that maple are, are definitely not as preferred as those other species. And what, what do they do to the trees? Uh, so there's two, two sort of rounds of defoliation. So when the caterpillars become active again in mid April, um, they'll, those tiny caterpillars will come out and they'll start feeding on the bud, the newly emerged leaves and cause leaf damage that way. But they're also going to be growing, eating and growing from mid April, um, until the end of June. So they're going to be consuming a lot of foliage. And a lot of people call me and say, you know, my tree looked like it had been defoliated overnight. And that, that's certainly true. So once the caterpillars get to a certain size, it's like that book uh, from when you were a kid, The Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar. Um, they are very voracious and they can 
seemingly strip a tree overnight, but it's more often that people don't really notice it. And then a few days go by and the tree is almost bare from the top down. Um, so yeah, they do cause defoliation. Brown tail alone doesn't really kill trees. Um, usually there's other stressors. So um, there's spongy moth, formerly known as gypsy moth. That's a very bad defoliator in Maine. Uh, but also winter moth along the coast is a uh, defoliator of oaks. Um, and then also the drought we've had for the past few years has really stressed the trees out a little bit more. And we are sort of seeing um, some tree mortality now uh, due to brown tail, but also other causes. And um, one thing to note is that just be, I have a lot of people call me, you know, when their trees initially defoliated. They say, uh, you know, they think the tree is dead and they want to have it cut down. Um, trees in general, but oaks especially, are very tolerant of foliation. So just pump the brakes on the, the tree removal. And likely later in July, once the caterpillars have, have stopped feeding and turned into moths, um, you will see the tree relief, especially if we, we have some rain to water them. So let's talk a little bit about that life cycle and then we can get into some of the specific things that we need to do right now in March, because we are broadcasting this in March. There may be a repeat of this at another time, but in March, um, what we should be doing. So what we've just learned is that they overwinter and there could be 400, 20 to 400. That's quite a, a range. Why 20, why 400? I, you know, why would this one have 20? And <laughs> uh, yeah, It's sort it's of just, a... Yeah, it's dependent on a bunch of different factors, how many caterpillars actually hatch from the egg mass. And then, um, you know, they're not invincible. They're not immortal. So there are some things that um, will affect them, whether it be uh, something like a fungus, a virus or a bacteria, um, you know, site conditions, sunlight, food source, all those things sort of play into into how many webs or how many uh, caterpillars per web there can okay. be. So tell us that uh, again it, about that about that life cycle and what what we're looking at. Yeah, so I guess we'll start with what they are currently, and so they right now they're very very small caterpillars um, bundled inside these again palm sized webs, and the caterpillars now are about the size of a sprinkle that you would put on ice cream, very very small, and uh, then come mid April once the days are you know, 50 degrees pretty reliably during the day, things are starting to warm up, the caterpillars become active, they emerge and sort of bask on the outside of their web. Um, and uh, basically what they're trying to do is, is just get warm so that their metabolism increases so that they're able to feed and digest. And that's basically what they will do from mid-April until the end of June is feed. And they, at throughout this process they're growing and um shedding that skin so it's the caterpillars that have the toxic hairs but then also their shed skins um so they're growing and growing and eating until the end of june where they're at the maximum size and then they're going to start crawling around looking for a nice sheltered place to pupate so they can pupate under the eaves of your house um boat trailers rvs cars that haven't moved in a while um that sort of stuff and that's one of the other ways that it, it can uh travel um in addition to the caterpillars being very good at hitchhiking so uh once they pupate um the so the pupa those um the stage before the moth and um the cocoon that they sort of 
um, create to protect themselves is also impregnated with those toxic hairs. So it's the caterpillars, the shed skins, and the pupa um, all have those toxic hairs. But fast forward a couple of weeks after they turn into pupa, and the adult moths emerge. And the adult moths are sort of a snow white moth with a brown abdomen. And that's the reason why they're called brown tail moth. So, uh, like, <laughs> like all uh, insects, they're going to be out there looking for a mate, looking for love, uh, day after Valentine's Day today. <laughs> uh, so, sort of appropriate. But um, they're going to be doing this in, in July. And one word of caution uh, that can also help sort of mitigate things is throughout July and parts of August, you're going to want to keep your lights off uh, between 10 and midnight. But maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. I, after I do the have some cycle. questions. I do. There, yeah, I do have some questions about the the light situation. Now, should I ask now, or or, or should, do do you feel the, the need to complete 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 that thought, Tom? I don't want uh, to. No, let's let's okay. go. All right. So, so is there are there different kinds of light that they are attracted to? I mean, would it all? Is it ultraviolet or would one of the LED lights be better? Is it a, 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 one of the amber or yellow lights? Is it all lights or what's the... Yeah. So it's sort of lights in general. Um, I would say that we see the most at like mercury vapor volt bulbs, you know, the, the security lights that people have outside their garages or barns. Um, those are just the most attractive to insects in general. Uh, but there's a word of caution here uh, and it's that Basically, it's mostly the, the males that are coming directly to the light. And unfortunately for us males, we don't matter too much biologically. So you can kill many, many, many males and you won't really put a dent in the population. So the females are also attracted to the light, but they don't come directly to the light for the most part. They hang out on the host foliage um, just out of the reach of the light. And they're, they're basically just waiting, for, um, waiting to find mates and, and waiting for the males to come to them. So we've had people in the past uh, create, you know, create these light traps and they, and bug zappers. And they say that, you know, this is the best way because it's attracting all these moths and look how many moths I killed. But unfortunately, like I mentioned, it's mostly males. So you're not really putting it down the population. You're actually in, increasing the amount of brown tail in your yard. So for the most part, we've had a lot of these people, um, contact us after the facts you know in november december once the leaves are off the trees and they actually have more brown tail webs in those trees than they would have if they had just kept the lights off um so you're saying yeah, that so, it doesn't matter what kind of light don't change the bulbs don't go crazy just keep the lights off yeah and keeping the lights off uh is good for a multitude of reasons um it saves money it keeps the night sky dark um and it's better for sleep. Um, there's and there's many other reasons, but uh, brown tail is just another good reason. And so, no zappers, please. Also, you're going to be killing things that you don't want to be zapping. Exactly, that's a good point. A lot of people uh, put those bug zappers out for brown tail, and a lot of the parasitic flies and wasps that do help uh, keep uh, brown tail in control. Um, those are also attracted to those lights. So you're actually doubly doing more harm than good by killing some of those uh, biocontrol agents, unfortunately. So that is one of the things that I, I did want to talk about, about what are there natural 
predators. And you're just saying that there are parasitic wasps that are, are part of this. Tell me, tell us more about that. Yeah. So, um, back in the, back in the early 1900s when brown tail was first starting to, to rear its ugly head, um, what they used to do back in the day is they used to go over to the native range of an insect that was causing a problem and collect everything that was attacking it over there. So what they did is they went over and uh, got a bunch of these parasitic flies and wasps that were attacking brown tail and brought them over to the U.S. Unfortunately, back in the day, they did not vet those biocontrol agents to see if they were specific to that species or if they attack some of our native species. So a lot of those were generalists, but a lot of them did end up giving some control for brown tail. Um, but I would say that the main driver of these population collapses is there's a fungus uh, that attacks brown tail called Entomophaga alecae. Um, and there's also a, a baculovirus that attacks brown tail. So uh, both those things are usually what cause the region-wide population collapses that we see. And uh, both of those pathogens really excel and pro spread and proliferate in cool, wet conditions, particularly in May and June. So keep your fingers crossed for a, a normal wet spring. So these fun fungi and viruses are were introduced, or they they are here. They were here beforehand, or they were those were part of the ones introduced. I have a feeling that they were introduced. Um, the literature is a little bit murky. Um, but I do have a feeling that they were introduced, uh, especially the virus, since the virus is um, very specific to brown tail. The fungus is also very specific to brown tail, but, you know, sometimes it does um, affect some other species. But I, I yes. have a feeling that they were from Europe originally. If you just tuned in, by the way, um, this is the Healthy Options Program on WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and we're talking with Maine, a Maine Forest Service entomologist, Tom Schmelk, who is charged with managing the state's response to the brown-tailed moth problem. And we're learning about ways to help yourself eradicate some of these in your own environment so that we can avoid getting all those rashes and, and avoid contact with those toxic hairs. So, Let's, um, so by the way, that parasitic wasp, are, are we're finding that that's causing problems with other species here in Maine, other native species? What's, what's going on with that? Or have that died down a little bit? Yeah, so there's, there's actually many, many species of, of parasitic wasp and flies that they brought over. Um, so also something to maybe complicate the fact is in the 1870s, when um, spongy moth, formerly known as gypsy moth, was becoming, um, you know, a huge problem. And that and spongy moth is probably the worst forest pest that we have in the U.S. or arguably one of the worst. So when that was really um, getting started in the 1870s, they brought a bunch of uh, flies and wasp over for that species. And then fast forward a few decades to when brown tail comes to America um, and then some of those uh, that were released for spongy moth made a jump to brown tail, but then they also brought a whole nother suite over for brown tail. So uh, one of those species in particular, uh, it's a fly called Comsolura continata, and that's implicated in the decline of some of our native silk moths. Um, so if you, if anybody's ever seen a Cecropia moth, they are probably one of our, I think they are our largest native moth. A lot of people sort of, <laughs> mistake them for bats at, at lights, but the very large moth and it sort of looks like a Persian carpet. Those used to be a lot more common. Um, 
and they are they're definitely still around but they are definitely less common than they were before and that's attributed to that one uh general uh parasitic fly wow so we can just as as always see the ecosystem the whole connection of of what, be careful what you introduce. Let's go back to the life cycle. We know uh, that the, the brown tail males look like. Let's remind everybody what the caterpillar itself looks like to differentiate it from other caterpillars. And that would be in June, we would see those? Yeah, you'd, you, so you'd see them very okay. large, mature caterpillars in June. Um, but even now, you know, throughout their caterpillar stage, they'd do, they do look the same. They just change size. So the two distinguishing characteristics for uh, identifying brown tail caterpillars is they have these two hunter orange dots towards the tail end. Um, and those are very vivid. And those are um, even on the very, very small caterpillars that are in those webs. Um, but then the other distinguishing feature is that each segment of the body is flanked on both sides by these white marks. Um, and those two, the combination of the two characteristics is what uh, distinguishes brown tail from any of our other native caterpillars. There is a another caterpillar that has two hunter orange dots towards the tail end, um, and that's white marked tussock moth, which is native, um, but it looks very, very different. It looks sort of like a, a toothbrush, actually. I think we'll, uh, we'll put the uh, website on um on on the archives so people can go and and you'll have you have pictures of those i'm sure to differentiate yeah it looks like a toothbrush but aren't don't you see the hairs on the brown tail moth caterpillar as well or not as much uh not as much it's sort of a a general it's generally hairy um but in order to really see those hairs um up close or to see the barbs on them you'd have to look at them under a microscope but um you know side by side spongy moth versus um gypsy moth at least hair wise they look pretty similar um they they obviously have different color patterns and and characteristics but okay, okay so we're we're wanting not to to touch those or see them <laughs> i mean <Definitely>. we'll see <laughs> okay so Let's talk about now. It's it's it, March. What are we seeing and what should we be doing? Yeah, so <clears throat> February is Brown Tail Moth Awareness Month, um, officially signed by the governor. Um, and it's a good way <clears throat> to uh, to basically get information out and make people aware of brown tail in their own yards. And there's no reason why Brown Tail Moth Awareness Month has to stop in February. Um, March is also a very, very good time <clears throat> to get out there and see what brown tail is doing in your yard. One of the ways that you can do that is, like I mentioned before, going out on a nice, bright, sunny day, standing with the sun to your back and paying attention to those uh, host tree species that I mentioned. So oaks, uh, fruit trees, ornamental crab apples, cherries, stuff like that. It, um, if you just joined us, it not, it's oaks, the, the fruit trees, you, you can repeat it because people may yeah, have just tuned uh, in. Common host trees are oaks, um, any fruit trees, which includes ornamental uh, crab apples and cherries, um, but you know, apples, pears, quinces, stuff like that. Um, but then also elm, birch, and poplar. Those are probably the most preferred hosts um, and what we see brown tail in the most. Um, also our, our native black cherry. Uh, but you know, going out on a nice bright sunny day and sort of surveying your own dooryard will help inform your management decisions. And I can't 
tell you how many uh, how many people in their front yards have crab apples or apple trees that have um, brown tail webs in them. So if you have one of those trees in your front yard, even if it's just ornamental, go out there and uh, you'll be able to see where those webs are sort of on the very tips of the branches and clip those out, clip as many out as you can. You can use uh, hand pruners, um, pole pruners, um, all, all that sort of stuff. And one of the important things is you'll want to do that before mid-April. Mid-April is when they start becoming active again. Um, but basically, you'll want to destroy those webs. You'll want to pick them up and either uh, destroy them by soaking them in a bucket of soapy water overnight or by burning them. And both of those are completely acceptable ways. Does burning create uh, the in the smoke? Is, uh, is that toxic? For some people, what what do we know about that? Or so I do get that question a lot, and I would say if it's a wood stove, um, you're probably fine. Heat does denature that toxin, um, so you're probably better off in a wood stove. But if you do have a burn barrel, you know you just know that you're a sensitive individual. Just take precautions and and try not to stand um, too close to it. But uh, if again, if you are very sensitive, the bucket of soapy water might be the way to go. So do they have to be in there for a long time? Uh, we typically recommend overnight, but a couple of nights um, won't hurt. It won't, won't hurt you. It'll hurt the caterpillars. And at that point, can you touch those webs? Yeah. Um, the water sort of helps the, the hairs from sticking in your skin. Um, but, you know, again, if you're a sensitive individual, the less you touch them, the better. Um, you can wear just gloves. take that bucket of water and yeah, just wear gloves and you can toss those webs, those dead webs out in the woods somewhere. Well, I was just thinking to get the webs that you've just clipped into the bucket that use gloves. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just wear gloves and it's cold out anyway. So you might as well, uh, keep your hands warm. And we, we do cold weather doesn't affect them. So it could be minus 20 degrees. They're, they're not that it's not like they get frozen or anything like that. So that's not an issue to think of as, as a positive. It doesn't matter. Unfortunately not. So brown tail has a, has a very um, large home range in Europe and sort of its range sort of dips down into North Africa, but then also uh, up into Scandinavia. So for in general areas around the globe that are at the same latitude have a very similar climate. So they're already adapted to our coldest winters. Um, unfortunately, you know, and we were talking about the parasites and, and the fungus and the, the virus. Why don't do birds, why don't birds eat them? We have crows and it seemed like that would be a great food source in the winter. Is there something in the webs that, repels the birds or or they're just not on their radar oh so there's a few different reasons why birds don't really eat them uh one is that they have those toxic hairs and that's the whole reason why they have those toxic hairs as a defense against vertebrate predators um i don't know about you but i wouldn't want a, a mouthful of those toxic hairs um but then there's also a few other reasons one um the caterpillars are very small and the webs, the silk in the webs is incredibly strong. Even with your own bare hands, trying to pull them apart is a struggle. So it's a lot of energy and a lot of effort, especially in the winter, um, for sort of a little bit of a reward, even if they, they were going for the caterpillars. So so the, the hairs are toxic to other species, in other words. I, I, 
Yeah, definitely. It's a it's an irritant to um, any any of the soft portions of of a body. Um, so a lot of people ask me if the dog's going to be affected, and the answer is yes. If it's on the uh, if it's on the hairless parts of their belly, or if it's um, you know nose and eyes, but uh, for the most part, you know, hair protects against hair. Uh, so that's one reason why people don't usually get the rash on their scalp. Um, and, and the dogs don't usually get the rash on, on their skin. Oh, well, that, that was, that was new information. I didn't realize that, uh, for, for some reason I, I, I was in a delusional state and thinking that the crows should be eating them. Why not? Now I know why. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> if you just tuned in to, uh, we're, uh, to WERU community radio, this is the healthy options program. I'm Rhonda Feynman and our guest is Tom Schmelk forest entomologist with the Maine Forest Service, who is heading up the program dealing with brown tail moth invasion here in Maine. So here we are in March, we were clipping, we're using the buckets, we're doing some sorts of burns. We're going to get as many as we can. What about you know, what about other methods? Can we use drones? Is there a way to another another method? Because sometimes they're really high up. I and and yeah, what do you know about that? Is that anything uh, on the horizon? Yeah, so there's actually a trial done around the Camden-Lincolnville area. Um, there's a Canadian drone company that came down and trialed um, this drone-attached equipment that was originally designed for branch sampling the tops of very high trees for, um, for you know, tissue sampling and, and stuff like that for, for old-growth trees. Um, but they realized that it's it could it's possible to use it for brown to clip brown tail moth webs out. So uh, that trial happened and, and they did have some success. I think it took around two minutes per web, but that could be brought down with practice and, um, you know, possibly different drone technology, but it is a valuable tool. I see, you know, being in that toolbox for brown tail, especially um, if you do not want to go the pesticide route. And sometimes it, it can be expensive to clip out all of those webs in the tree. Um, but yeah, there are many options besides, uh, you know, getting on a ladder or, or clipping with pole pruners. That is the, if you can clip them, that is the most preferred way. Um, but there's, you know, there's different chemical options. And, and like I said, there's this drone uh, technology or, you know, hiring an arborist to to climb the so, trees and yeah, I want to I want to talk about that. I want to get back to the drones for a second because um, I think that this is just a, a thought that 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 some of us had. We were having a conversation about this. What about a contest? Let's have a contest. The Maine Forest Service will have a contest for the drone for people to figure out a safe, non toxic, cost effective way to use drones to. To, to deal with this issue, especially way high up where you can't reach. So there it is. Get our, our uh, scientific minds in a, a way that that there's some reward, a different kind of reward, <laughs> that uh, a little bit of a competition. Get everybody thinking about it. Um, that, that could be a good use of competition, <laughs> perhaps. I don't know. Uh, well, it's, maybe it's a thing. We'll, we'll, we'll see if this takes off. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> What do you think? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the technology 
still has a little bit of a way to go. Um, and it's basically going to take, you know, certain companies, uh, leading the way and sort of showing that it is a viable option. Um, I know that there's some people that don't think it's a viable option, but I think it is a good tool that could be used in the future. Are there clippers on the drones? I, I, you know, do they spray? I haven't actually seen the, the equipment itself, but there is, um, from what it sounds like, there is a, uh, a clipper on the end of a, uh, an attachment. Oh, interesting. Okay. To be, to be continued, to be continued on the drone front, which, but what we do have now, I know people have tried to plug something in. What, what, a plugging something into a tree, but they had trouble because of the drought that it, the, the material was not going into the areas of the tree that would require, that needed to get the, the, is it a pesticide? What, what is it that, that people are using? Yeah. So, um, what you're referring to is, uh, they're called tree injections and, um, it is an option like, almost half over half the people that called the spring and summer um were asking about tree injections and we did add a we did completely revise our frequently asked questions and added a whole new section on uh injectables uh so that's a good resource there but basically um you're going to want to make sure that you're timing those tree injections with when the tree is moving water so um around bud burst is usually a good indication that the tree is moving water up to the crown and will help uptake that insecticide. Um, the probably the most common ingredient that people use is uh, an active ingredient called acephate. Um, so you will want to check with the Board of Pesticide uh, Control website and make sure that the product that you're buying or the product that you're trying to buy is registered for use in Maine. Um, some companies haven't registered it their uh, products in Maine. And so those products are, are illegal to use in Maine. Um, so just be aware of that when you are um, sort of researching that option. Uh, another thing is I stress this with any insecticide application, um, but you're going to want to make sure that you follow the instructions word for word. There's a lot of user error in some of these systems um, if the directions aren't followed. So that could either mean harm to the environment or, um, you know, a not effective application. So, yeah. So you don't also, you don't want to harm yourself. So it, it, pesticides are a, a, a tricky thing. Best to start with the clipping, wouldn't you say? Yes, definitely start with the clipping. Um, a lot of people inquire about injecting apple trees and I would not inject any trees that you are going to be consuming fruit off of, but also even taller apple trees are pretty pun intended, low hanging fruit. So you're going to want to, you know, just get the ladder out, get the pole pruners out and that will, um, you know, be a, a no target, you know, no non-target, uh, effects, uh, treatment. So one of the main reasons why we advocate clipping, if you can reach the webs is that, um, there's no non-target effects. So you're just getting brown tail. You're not affecting any other species. Um, the webs are highly visible in the winter when the tree leaves are off the trees. Um, but then also the hair activity is very low. So you're not going to necessarily break out into a rash. I would wear goggles too. And we're all used to wearing masks at this point, or at least. And so, you know, suit up, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. 
You, you, do, do you need a hazmat suit to uh, to get out there? <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> Probably not for the webs, but if you're if you're doing yard work or around that like May June time period, definitely uh, wear some PPE for sure. Well, let's talk about that. Okay, so we've clipped, and now you possibly got a lot, but you're probably not getting everything. And some things, when if 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 a web falls down, do, is that does it die? Is or is that a, a problem to have a web just hanging around on your lawn? Or yeah, so if you don't uh, pick up the webs that you clip, um, the caterpillars are very good at finding food, and they will sort of climb right back up on the the tree if if you don't pick up and destroy those webs. Unfortunately, so um, I would definitely recommend that. One of the other key probably most important um parts is that if if money is a deciding factor in in your treatment um with like it is for almost everybody basically just focus your treatment on the trees that especially if it's the chemical treatment um focus treatment on the trees that are uh just around your house so overhang your house overhang your deck in high traffic areas those are going to be the most bang for the buck. Um, and most all, all of these chemical and uh, mechanical treatments are focused on mitigating people coming into contact with the hairs. Um, so it's going to be most effective and you're going to get the most bang for your buck, you know, immediately around your house. Uh, like I mentioned before in the program, trees are pretty tolerant to foliation, oaks especially. Um, so don't worry too much about the trees that are further away from the house, um, like in the woods. It's not really feasibly, financially, logistically, or environmentally to really um, treat those trees that are, are further away. Um, yes, they will have brown to on them. Yes, they might get defoliated, but um, focus right around the house. So I guess when you take a hike, you really need to be careful it, if you mm-hmm. live in, that, in an area. One thing, if you're in a town different if you're out in the country definitely and if you're on a hike just stay on the trail and and that's true for ticks but also brown tail hairs you don't want to be stirring up those hairs if, if you know it's a highly infested area so so we know now not to uh leave them on your lawn what about mowing you know i've, I've heard stories people get into big trouble they've mowed their webs <laughs> that they put on the ground that's doesn't seem like a good idea. What do you think? Yeah, it's so as far as the mowing goes, it's mostly um, like the caterpillars and the, the hairs that you want to avoid in that, um, you know, May, May, June time period. So a couple of things you can do as far as mowing goes is either mow uh, early in the morning when there's still dew on the, the grass or mow the day after uh it rained and I know it's no fun mowing wet grass, but it's also no fun having uh, brown tail moth or ash. So there's those two things, or you can hire a lawn company to um, mow your lawn and bag those clippings and take them off site. And that will also help reduce the risk. And though that would be okay to put that in a, where a comp, where you would compost clippings or do you want to keep these separate and burn them as well or what 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 would be the safe way to deal with those um you could probably put them in the compost pile um so the toxin is stable in the environment but that's typically in areas that don't get a whole lot of precipitation so like under a deck boat trailer sort of sheltered areas um the hairs can become airborne uh, pretty readily 
but areas in the woods and in your yard that do get a lot of rain and snow that helps incorporate this the hairs into the soil and they degrade and, and don't pose much much more of a problem well, then what about compost if um if the, the hairs get in there i heard something about them left the toxins lasting three years so would you want to use that compost on your garden or yeah so that one to three year um toxin uh residual is is more in those those sheltered areas that are um you know away from you know that don't get a whole lot of precipitation um probably actually if you have the option to uh put those clippings you know toss them in the woods or put them in the compost pile just be safe and probably just put those in the uh in the woods or sort of maybe not in an area that you're going to be digging through and, and working just to be safe um always like to err on the side of caution. So if you're, if the, if the moths, uh, not the moths, the actual caterpillars, which are on the adult, well, all of them will have that, those orange, those two orange dots on the tail. And, and, and you said white along the edges. Is that how we'll yep. identify them? Yeah. So if the caterpillars it, have, have those two hunter orange dots, but then also uh, each segment is flanked by those white marks. If they if they get into your compost, what if those get in? Um, I I do know some people who didn't even know they had them until they saw them climbing around their compost bin. Is that the end of that compost bin? Don't use it. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Um, the caterpillars aren't gonna die there, and, and if they are shedding hairs, um, it's likely pretty minimal. But um, yeah, so it'll. I would say that the compost would be fine. Um, again, like if you're doing compost proper, it heats up and, and that heat will um, destroy the toxin. But in general, I don't think it's, you know, it's not going to be interwoven into the compost. And I've never had anybody, uh, a lot of people ask about produce and, and growing produce in their garden. And as long as you're washing the produce off, um, I've never had anybody contact me about the uh the hair is infecting, you know, the inside of their mouth or their throat. Well, this is good for, especially for our listeners who do a lot of gardening and composting. If you just joined me, um, this is the Healthy Options Program on WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman. We're talking with Maine Forest Service entomologist Tom Schmelk, who's in charge and charged with managing the state's response to the brown tail moth problem. He's been uh, educating us all about how to um, avoid, how to minimize your contact with these caterpillars and moths in here in, in our communities. So um, Tom Schmelk, tell me, tell me about, um, the idea of laundry lines and swimming and is that do the hairs cause a problem with all of this kind of thing that we do in Maine? Finally, it gets warm. You want to be outside and do these things. What do we yeah, know? Yeah, so two two really good points. Um, so if you are in a heavily infested area, uh, you're going to want to make sure that you're drying your laundry inside. Um, those hairs be, can become airborne and blow in the wind and, and blow into your bed sheets. And, um, you definitely don't want, <laughs> don't want that to happen. Um, but also this, the past two summers, I've gotten a lot of calls about people who 
went swimming and they have this and they got this rash and originally uh it sounded more like swimmer's itch which is um a parasite that you know swims through the water and is looking for the feet of ducks but when it ends up in people um you know your immune system kills it but it, it does end in a rash but the more i was talking to these people the more i realized that it it probably was brown tail moth hairs especially um in some of the the lakes that were bordered by a lot of oak trees that were in that heavily infested area. So it was likely happening was people went for a swim, they would come out um, and take a towel and dry off. And they were likely grinding those brown tail hairs that had landed on their skin into their skin um, and sort of breaking out in a rash like that. So one of the things that uh, I might suggest, and I know it's definitely not possible if you're all the way out at the lake, um, but if there are bath, you know, shower facilities or, um, anything like that is to maybe take a shower or wash yourself off with a hose. Um, I know not always feasible when you're out with a family far from home, but, you know, rinsing yourself off before you dry off, um, might be a, a good solution. So you think the hair has gotten on the towels as well? Yeah. Like likely, you know, as the person was drying, you know, the hairs yes. are on their, their skin and. Yeah. It just to clarify. So do you think the hairs were in the water? And I think, yeah, I think they, the, you know, the hairs landed on the surface of the water. Yeah, so yeah. as you're leaving the water, you are basically, um, you know, it's like a, a film on you, the water, <laughs> whatever's on the surface of the water creates a, a film on your body. And as you're drying off, um, you're grinding those hairs yeah, into your skin. Got it. So, wow. Well. Let's let's just take a moment. Like, really, the, this is the fun time uh, of, uh, of of living in Maine, and and now we're uh, we're having this conversation about swimming. What about July? What happens? Let's continue with the uh, the the cycle. What happens in July? Is this yeah, when so, they're yeah picking up on on the life cycle? So those adult moths are going to be out um, around mid July. They're going to be out for a few weeks. And what those, those moths are doing is they're looking for a mate, obviously. Um, when they find that mate, they, the female will um, lay eggs right on the host foliage. So right on, you know, oaks, uh, fruit trees, uh, crab apples, stuff like that. Uh, lay those eggs right on there. And then um, sometime in August, those eggs will hatch. So, and then once those eggs hatch, very tiny caterpillars will feed communally on the outside of the leaf. And what they do is they graze the outer, uh, graze on the outer layer of the leaf and can consume that outer layer, which causes the leaf to die and turn this bronzy copperish color. So they're feeding in August and September. And at the same time that they're feeding all together, they're also building that winter web together. But a note on the adult moths in July. So the adult moths are not, not the life stage that has those toxic hairs. So I've get, I got, you know, five, six calls last summer saying that, Hey, the moth landed on me and they broke out in this rash. So looking at the hairs under the scope, that's, they're not the toxic barbed hairs. They're just regular hairs. So I have a feeling that those people, um, that reacted that way, uh, they're just, they can be, people can be generally sensitive to, to foreign hairs. And that's, more more so likely what happened um the hairs on the the abdomen are again not the toxic hollow barbed hairs so 
let's go back to how these things, how they, the 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 caterpillars have uh, traveled throughout throughout Maine, throughout all these countries that you mentioned before, even Scandinavia. The range is quite extensive, and they are everywhere in Maine now, aren't they? Uh, not everywhere, but um, they are in, in many of the counties in Maine. Where are they not? <laughs> uh, they're not. They're not really in western Maine too much. They're not in northern Maine. And two caveats to what I just said. Um, Brantel moth is expanding its range into western Maine. So those western Mainers are, are not immune, unfortunately, um, to the wrath of Brantel. And I did say that it's not really um, in the north too much. But last winter, we did pick up two or actually three satellite populations of single webs that were up in Arusta County. And that's the first time in many, many decades that we've seen it up in the county. So just a testament to how well it can hitchhike and hitch a free ride. Yeah, I was talking to an arborist who was telling me when he comes home, uh, he does things like cut uh, clips. He, he does that and he climbs up into the trees and, and, and does the uh, clipping. He said that he has to collect, he has to do a whole thing with a hose and collect all of these caterpillars that have actually got into the well, the wheel wells of his, of his tr vehicle and then make sure that he's putting them in soapy water and dealing with that. And then of course, taking care of the clothes that he was wearing and, and taking care of his own, his own situation. So he doesn't get a, a toxic rash. Are you, that is that, that's what we're talking about under the eaves. When you see them, do you wash them? How, how do we get rid of them? And once they've decided to, uh, to get under there, what's, what's the uh, method that you're recommending? So another another very popular question that we get um, at the Maine Forest Service, especially in in late May and and also in late June when the caterpillars are sort of wandering on people's houses, one of the main things, uh, one of the most beneficial things you can do um, is if you have a wet dry shop vac with a really good HEPA filter, you can put a couple of inches of soapy water in the bottom of that, and that will um, one prevent the hairs from becoming airborne again. Uh, you know, blowing out the back of the vacuum, but also it will kill the caterpillars um, and you won't have to to touch them and, and come into contact with those hairs. Um, but yeah, so you were just talking about in, in the summertime when the caterpillars are out wandering around, um, being under the wheel wells of cars, trunk lid seals, stuff like that. Um, and that's also true of, you know, boat trailers, RVs, campers, stuff like that. And that's one of the main ways that brown tail moth moves around. Um, the time that the caterpillars are the most active is also one of the times that um, a lot of people like to go out camping and they like to go out. Um, and often uh, in these infested areas, um, unknowingly bring back brown tail with them. And there's a few satellite populations that we can basically directly link to, um, you know, people going down and, and accidentally bringing them back. So check your car, check under your car, check in the wheel wells if, if you've been out and about. Definitely, and, especially in that May to, to May through early July uh, time span. So that's when, that's when they're out there. And, and I, this idea of, the, of not using your vacuum without the water, otherwise the hairs are coming out of the, uh, of the exhaust. Yeah, without, that, without the water um, and, 
And especially without that good HEPA filter, the hairs are just going to be blown out and there's just going to be a bunch of live caterpillars in the bottom of your vacuum, which is, is not doing anybody any good. So maybe you could remind us again, when, when should we turn the lights out? Yeah, definitely. I would say lights out um, from early July through early August. Um, that's probably the, the peak flight time. And heck, even keep it off, you know, longer on both sides of those things, not not just for brown tail, but for um, a multitude of other reasons like we had talked about before. Um, Which, but yeah, definitely keeping those lights off will will help avoid attracting more brown tail. Yes, enjoy the night sky. Enjoy the night sky. Exactly. Make, make the night dark again, please. To the Right now, again, in March, where you're out there clipping, what can we confuse these webs with? What, what should we be, uh, be careful of not confusing? Uh, what don't we want to clip? What do we want to clip? Yeah, so there's, uh, there's three or four different species of caterpillars that um, make webs or structures that could be confused for brown tail. Um, the first is fall webworm, which is native. Um, and often when people are driving along, uh, especially in like apple trees, but also walnut and ash, they'll see these very large football sized messy webs and that's fall webworm. Um, so the, basically the main, main difference between fall webworm and brown tail moth webs is the size. So those fall webworm webs are going to be very large, again, the size of a football. Brown tail moth winter webs are going to be about the size of the palm of your hand, so quite a bit smaller. Um, one of the other species that's often confused for brown tail moth webs is uh, forest, or, uh, eastern tent caterpillar, which is, again, one of our natives. Um, and there's three different ways that you can tell that from brown tail. One, it's sort of a timing of the year sort of thing. Uh, eastern tent caterpillar is making those its webs basically uh from like late late spring early summer that time period and it's also where the web is located on that that uh that host tree so eastern tent caterpillar is going to make its webs um sort of right where the trunk uh meets the branches and that's a very stable area um and also the size again it's going to be about the size of a football if not larger um well brown tail brown tail will sort of increase the silk uh, around its winter web in the springtime when it first comes out. But um, ultimately, Eastern 10 caterpillar is going to be a lot, a lot bigger uh, comparatively. Are they on the edge of the, of the, of the, of the, of the branch as well? Uh, not, not for Eastern 10 caterpillar. No. Um, brown tail is almost always going to be right at the very tips of the vegetation. Um, so that's another telltale sign. Um, but, Probably the, the third and the most easily confused for brown tail is that we do have um, two native silk moths that create a structure similar to a brown tail moth web, both in size and on some of the same hosts. Um, so that's Cecropia moth, which we talked about a little earlier in the program. as uh, our largest native moth here in the Northeast. Um, very beautiful, very large, um, looks sort of like a Persian carpet. A lot of people confuse it for uh, actually a bat around some of these lights, but um, very beautiful moth, very big moth. So that's one species of silk moth that creates a, a, a structure similar to brown tail moth webs, but then also another species of silk moth called Promethea moth also creates a structure very similar in size and on some of the same hosts as brown tail. There's 
two major like key differences between the silk moth pupa and the brown tail moth winter webs. So if you think about it, these silk moth pupa are a single, very large individual uh, caterpillar that has turned into a pupa. And it's basically in a, a sack, like a big silken sack. Um, it's not going to have a ton of leaves, you know, interwoven into the silk. Um, and if you think about it, brown tail moth winter webs are created uh, by many, many very small caterpillars and they are incorporating leaves and it's sort of a messier, tanglier uh, web compared to those silk moths. So if you think silk moth, just think of, you know, a coin purse or a sack. And then if you, one of the other key differences between brown tail and the silk moth pupa is that the silk on the silk moth pupa sort of it turns it turns sort of brown and sort of a dingy brown a lot quicker than brown tail moth uh webs will and if you look at brown tail moth winter webs um they have a nice bright white silk associated with them um that's attaching that bundle of leaves and silk to the to the branch which okay. uh the silk moths don't have well, that'll be a good thing for everyone to get out there and start clipping right now. We're getting to the end of our program. I can't believe it. Let's review. Clip now, right? Wear gloves, but they're not, the toxic hairs are not really the, the issue right at the moment. When you start seeing the caterpillars, you should put the uh, clippings in soapy water. Yep, destroy them. Yeah. And uh, don't touch those, don't mow the, don't mow the caterpillars. Definitely don't mow the caterpillars, right? <laughs> and uh, again, use a vac and, and with water in it, soapy water. Just really, uh, the best thing is to really get the clippings now so that we don't have the, um, the caterpillars later. And keep your lights out in, uh, oh, starting in June <laughs> through, through, through the summer is our is our preference, but really for the for the moths probably till August, right? Uh, Definitely. Let's do. We only have one second, but don't squish them, right? Because that gets the hairs. Don't step on them, or exactly, and you'll just be tracking those hairs into your house, into okay. your carpet. It's just better to. Okay, that that's that's the uh, final word. Don't squish the moths. Clip them now. Goodness. Our guest on Healthy Options today has been Tom Schmulk, forest entomologist with the Maine Forest Service. Thank you so much for being on Healthy Options today and for the work you're doing for all of us right here in Maine. There's an excellent Zoom presentation about the brown tail moths that Tom Schmulk gave through the Belfast Free Library last month, and you can get it from their website. There's also a lot of information on the Maine Forest Service website, and you can search, I saw this, quote, knock out brown tail, and you'll see uh, a lot of uh, information will come up. And of course, we'll have a link to that and other information that was mentioned in the public affairs archives for this healthy options program at weru.org. We um, want to thank Joel Nan, Amy Brown at ERU for engineering support and to Petra Hall for production assistance. And as always, thanks to all of our WERU listeners and supporters. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and I'm wishing you the best in health.